Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Take that damn thing away and let me see it for the first time in an hour. So spoke General Charlie Cox of the 1st Light Horse Brigade in the mid-afternoon of the 23rd of December 1916. What damn thing was he referring to? It was merely the direct written order from the commander of the Anzac Mounted Division, none other than Harry Chevelle, ordering the withdrawal of troops from the attack on Magdaba, Egypt. The Corps had been attacking all day without success, and Chevelle, fearing that horses and men would soon run out of water, had ordered the withdrawal. Fighting General Cox had other ideas. Welcome to the Australian Military History Podcast, a podcast dedicated to Australian servicemen and women covering events, units and personalities from the Boer War through to the modern day. G'day listeners and welcome to episode 3 of the Australian Military History Podcast, The Battle of Magdaba. First up, I'd like to advise that the website is now up and running after a bit of a false start. A podcaster I may be, but an IT guru I am certainly not. This is why everyone should have at least one millennial at their disposal. Thank you, Chiara and Luke. Now, before I launch into the details of this battle, I'd like to recommend to you, one and all, the fantastic book, The Desert Column, by Ian Idris. If you want a first-hand account of the Light Horse involvement in the First World War from a private soldier's perspective, then you'll do no better than this book. Beginning with his arrival on the Gallipoli Peninsula and covering just about every major action undertaken by the column up until 1918, Idris pretty much puts you in the saddle beside him as he ducks snipers' bullets, suffers heavy shell fire, and spends endless, exhausting days, nights, weeks, and months riding across the deserts of Egypt and Palestine. Well worth every cent of the purchase price. So anyway, onwards with today's offering. By September of 1916, British forces in Egypt were under the overall command of General Sir Archibald Murray, and were on the verge of pushing the Turkish forces out of Egypt. They had fought a series of battles, some of which I will cover in future episodes, across northern Egypt. In their way stood the town of El Arish, near the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Behind them, the British were constructing a major railway and water pipeline to support the advance across the Sinai Peninsula. It was this construction, more than anything, which had dictated the rate of advance. Without the water and supplies provided along this line, the army couldn't fight in the desert. So the Turks and their German advisers had a pretty good idea of when to expect attacks along the axis of advance, and they figured that any attack on El Arish was likely to occur prior to them being able to provide sufficient reinforcements to properly garrison the town. This essentially left them with three options. They could launch a preemptive strike in the hope of causing some havoc and a delay in the British advance, or they could sit tight and put up a spirited yet futile defence, or they could switch off the lights, organise have their mail forwarded to a new address, hand the key back to the landlord and get the hell out of town. After some intense debate, they opted for the get out of town option, and orders were issued for the 7,000 plus garrison of El Arish to withdraw to a better defensive position in the vicinity of El Shalal. In order to buy some time for the setting up of this defensive position, about a thousand troops were ordered to garrison the village of Magdabar, joining the 300 troops already there, and set up defensive redoubts around the town. The garrison was under the command of Katia Bay. 
Five redoubts were already in place around the town, remnants of previous conflicts. However, numerous sandstorms had filled in the positions and the trenches which linked them. Orders were given to dig out the sand, but when the British forces arrived six days later, the digging was incomplete. So what were the British and Commonwealth forces doing over this period of time? Well, they were still working on the theory they would need to take El Arish by force. They were still under the impression that a sizable number of enemy troops held the town. When the Desert Column eventually moved to take the town, they were surprised to find it empty of Turkish and or German soldiers. Bit of an oops moment, but not as devastating as other oops moments of the war which had cost the lives of troops, so we'll let them have this one. The following day, orders were given to Chevelle to take the Anzac Mounted Division and the Camel Corps to clear the Turks out of Magdabar. This meant the Corps would be fighting 23 miles away from their only supply of water. It would have to be a rapid victory or else it would need to be called off and the defeated soldiers would make their way back to El Arish to avoid risking the Corps dying of thirst. At his disposal, Chevelle had three brigades of the Anzac Mounted Division. The 1st Light Horse Brigade, consisting of the 1st, 2nd and 3rd Light Horse Regiments, the 3rd Light Horse Brigade, 8th, 9th and 10th Light Horse Regiments, the New Zealand Mounted Rifle Brigade, being the Auckland, Canterbury and Wellington Mounted Rifle Regiments, together with three battalions from the Imperial Camel Brigade in place of the 2nd Light Horse Brigade. These brigades were supported by the Inverness and Somerset Artillery Batteries, Royal Horse Artillery and the Hong Kong and Singapore Artillery Battery. Just a quick note to avoid potential confusion. From this point on, unless otherwise stated, when I mention the 1st or 3rd Light Horse, I'll be referring to the individual regiments, not the brigades. Clear as mud? Of course it is. Let's move on. After a quick squiz at the Turkish defences, Chevelle ordered the 8th and 9th Light Horse, the New Zealand Mounted Rifle Brigade and the Imperial Camel Corps to attack from the northeast. The 10th Light Horse Regiment was sent to the southeast of the town to block any Turkish attempts to escape. The 1st Light Horse Brigade was held in reserve. At 6.30am on the 23rd of December, No. 5 Wing of the Australian Flying Corps attacked the Ottoman defences and although their attack achieved little in the way of damages or casualties, they drew fire from the redoubts which revealed useful information for the attacking force. Magdabar itself sat in a dry riverbed, the Wadi El Arish. Redoubt No. 1 was located to the northwest of the town, on the northern bank of the Wadi with the redoubt No. 5 on the northeast. Redoubts 3, 4 and 5 were arranged in a semicircle on the southern side of the Wadi. Over on the Australian Military History Podcast website, you'll find a nice map of the position around Magdabar. It shows the movements of each of the primary units involved. Hopefully. The initial attack was to be made by the New Zealand Mounted Rifle Brigade, consisting of the Canterbury Mounted Rifle Regiment and the Wellington Mounted Rifle Regiment with support from a machine gun squadron armed with Vickers and Lewis guns and the 3rd Light Horse Brigade. All were under the overall command of Brigadier General Edward Chater of the New Zealand Mounted. The Canterbury's attacked to the southwest, aiming at Redoubt 5, while the Wellingtons advanced south of the Canterbury's and turned to take Redoubt 1. The 10th Light Horse began a long encircling manoeuvre around the east with the intention of hitting Redoubt 4 from the south and to cut off any Turkish attempt at retreat. The Imperial Camel Brigade was to move straight onto the town of Magdabar itself, sneaking between redoubts 1 and 2. The 1st Light Horse moved forward in reserve. Despite heavy Turkish fire, the troops attacking towards redoubts 1 and 5 managed to get to between 1600 and 400 yards of the redoubts, where they were forced to dismount and continue the attack on foot. After receiving reports from aerial spotters that small groups of defenders were beginning to retreat, and thinking that this meant the garrison was about to fold, Chater ordered the 1st Light Horse Brigade to advance on the town, during which manoeuvre they overtook the Camel Corps. 
They soon came under heavy fire and were forced to dismount and take cover in the wadi. Obviously the garrison was very much in position. The main problem with Chevelle's plan of encirclement was that he didn't have enough troops to effectively encircle the entire position. It also meant that his forces were spread out and attacking at points all around the perimeter rather than concentrating at one point. Attempting to advance on foot without being able to apply full force of attack meant that things progressed slowly. Sure they were advancing, but so was the day. By midday, all units were heavily engaged, but still a long way from achieving their objective. Such a long way, in fact, that Chevelle was starting to get a bit nervous. Fighting continued on all fronts, with the Camel Corps pushing to within 500 yards of Magdabar, and the 2nd and 3rd Light Horse pressing on Redoubt 2. The 8th and 9th Light Horse were still pushing towards Redoubt 5, and the 10th Light Horse had completed its wide arc and were fighting hard towards Redoubt 4. But progress was painfully slow, and by 2pm Chevelle realised they were in a spot of bother. At 2.50pm he sent out the following order. As enemy still hold out and horses must be watered, the action will be broken off and the force withdrawn. Each brigade will be responsible for its own protection during the withdrawal. Hour of withdrawal to begin at 1500. So that was it. After a hard day's fighting, the game was up and they were to withdraw. For no result. A bitter pill to swallow, no doubt. But as it turned out, the commander of the 1st Light Horse Brigade didn't like taking pills. Take that damn thing away from me and let me see it for the first time in half an hour. Fighting Charlie Cox was reported to have said as a messenger carrying Chevelle's order strode up. Now I've perused the official diary of the 1st Light Horse Brigade and I can't find any mention of this, but I wouldn't, would I? Only an idiot would record such an act of disobedience in the official unit diary. Did it happen like that or was it just a myth that spread out as these things tend to do? Either way, it doesn't really matter. The fact is, around the time this message would have been delivered, Cox had ordered one last push by his troops. It is quite likely that he did ignore the order, but whether he muttered those immortal words, I haven't been able to confirm. However, the official unit diary of the 3rd Light Horse Regiment, part of Cox's 1st Light Horse Brigade, states, and I quote, Bayonets were then fixed and a, and a rush made, and redoubt number 1 taken at 13.40. That's 1.40 in the afternoon for anyone unfamiliar with the 24-hour clock. The observant among you will notice that according to the 3rd Light Horse at least, the redoubt was taken just over an hour before Chevelle is said to have issued his withdrawal order. Take your pick. Don't you love attempting to reconcile conflicting sources? Anywho, the fact that it is believed to have been said tends to imply that it is the sort of thing he would say. If true, then it does show that Cox had a bucket loads of faith in his men. After all, if they failed in the attack, then his career was certainly over. Generals don't tend to like having their orders ignored, if they were issued in the first place, particularly if it leads to further failure. Regardless of when and under what circumstances, Redoubt 1 was captured by B and C Squadron with help from the Camel Corps. The capturing thereof broke the defensive ring around Magdabar. B and C Squadron's 3rd Light Horse were able to set up their machine guns in the position and bring direct fire to bear on Redoubt 2, which was being assaulted by A Squadron with assistance from elements of the 2nd Light Horse. Redoubt 2 fell around 4pm and the Turkish commander, Kedir Bay, was captured. Over on the eastern side, the New Zealanders and the 8th and 9th regiments of the 3rd Light Horse Brigade continued pushing forwards towards Redoubt 5, while the 10th Light Horse took on Redoubt 4. I'll let the 8th Light Horse diarist take it from here. After driving the enemy outposts and snipers, the E Redoubt, number 5, was stormed by B Squadron, 8th Light Horse and a small party of the 9th. The latter's Lewis gun rendered every valuable assistance during the advance. 
The whole of the enemy in this position were either killed or captured. In the meantime, C Squadron under Major Crawford had advanced on the left of B Squadron and had overrun the enemy's gun position, capturing four 9-pounder mountain guns. From this point, the Turks could only mount a feeble defence and soon, realising the hopelessness of their position, the Magdabar garrison surrendered. With the town taken, the Allied troops could water their horses, attend to their wounded and organise the movement of their prisoners. Chevelle had succeeded and narrowly avoided a defeat. Turkish casualties for the Battle of Magdabar amounted to 97 killed and 300 wounded, as well as 1,282 captured. The Anzacs and their Camel Corps suffered casualties of 22 killed and 121 wounded. With the capture of Magdabar, British Commonwealth forces were able to continue their push across the Sinai towards Palestine. With the completion of the railway and pipeline, the Allies were able to commence operations against the Turkish lines around Gaza throughout much of 1917, culminating in the Battle of Bathsheba in October. It was at Bathsheba where Chevelle faced a similar situation to Magdabar. His forces were attacking miles from their only water source. The town needed to be captured in one day, and like Magdabar, progress throughout the day was too slow. Brigadier Grant proposed charging the town in what would become the famous charge of the Light Horse. Chevelle had no hesitation in sending Grant and his men into the attack, confident that they would succeed. Even after protests from the other commanders, he persisted. Maybe Cox's attack that allegedly turned the tide at Magdabar was forward in his mind. Maybe that was the greatest achievement of Magdabar. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If so, please feel free to leave a comment on iTunes, Instagram under the name AMH Podcast, Facebook or on the website at AustralianMilitaryHistoryPodcast.com. Remember, if you have any subject area of military history which you would like covered, drop me a line at amhp.media at gmail. And thank you for listening to the Australian Military History Podcast.